0: What's up everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift.
1: We are an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids.
0: I'm Chris, you might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity affirming IEPs through my online course.
1: And I'm Jessie, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication programs for parents and therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity
0: affirming ways to support social
1: emotional development and regulation in autistic
0: kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's
1: do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. As you can see, we have a little baby special guest here with us who is, a, is up past his bedtime. And we also have a very exciting guest here today, Sunny Jane Wise, who you know as lived experience educator. And a little bit about Sunny, you won't hear a lot more, but Sunny is a multiply neurodivergent person, autism, adhd or bipolar, did I hit Did I hit it?
2: There's a few others, but those are the main three.
0: <laughs>
1: all right. And we're just so excited. You are an internationally known speaker, author, advocate, just the list goes on. And we've been really like watching you and just super excited, big fans of all your content for so long. So we're just feel like this conversation's overdue. We're so happy to have you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I I have been following you for quite some time and I have learned just so much. One of the, you had shared some information a long time ago um, that's still very common and relevant um, in current day. And I don't know if our audience or listeners know much about this, the actual definitions and things, but one of them was, uh, and I see it quite often, which is the use of the word neurodiverse versus neurodivergent so i will hear people say you know i work with a lot of neurodiverse students and can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what neurodivergent means like what's the what's the kind of idea behind that because for jesse and i we come from a background of working um kind of learning through like a medical model to be honest with you that's what speech pathology is and so that term is not really a term in the medical world. So um, that would be great if that we we could start there.
2: Okay, so with neurodivergent, I mean, like what you just said before, how it's not a term in the medical world, I mean, that's exactly it. And it's because neurodivergent, it's an identity. It's its a cultural social term. It's a social identity. So, you know, we're not going to find any, you know, medical definition or clinical definition of the term. is, And that's because it's not a clinical term. It's not a medical term. Um, So fun fact about the term neurodivergent, um, in the late 1990s, when neurodiversity was you know, becoming a thing, um, Kassane, who is the creator of the term neurodivergent, was a big uh, advocate within the neurodiversity space. And they were finding that people were kind of using neurodiversity to only refer to autism and ADHD. And what Kassane found is Kassane wanted a term that described all of her brain, all her, all of her diagnoses, all of her mental health diagnoses—not just autism and ADHD—you uh, know—it was a term to mo- like to describe everything. And for me, that really resonates because I'm autistic and ADHD, so obviously I'm neurodivergent. But I also have bipolar. Um, uh, you know also OCD, uh, Tourette's, and a, history, a whole history of other things. And for me, it does not make sense to refer to some parts of my brain or some of my traits as neurodivergent and other parts of my traits or other parts of my brains as disordered. And that's the whole point of neurodivergent is to move away from calling people disordered or having a disorder and instead recognize people aren't disordered, people aren't unwell, they diverge. And that's what neurodivergent means is that you diverge from dominant societal norms and standards and expectations, otherwise known as neuronormativity, that people's, how they function, they diverge from what society deems the right way to function. And that's what neurodivergent means. It's a a term to describe an individual. It's a term to describe a specific reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. And even though there might be some individuals that require more support needs, that doesn't mean we should take away from services. And I think that's also a thing that gets confused a little bit when some people feel like
1: right. Well, they say, "Well, if you're if you say you're neurodivergent, neuro, then you're not disabled, right?" A lot of right. Yeah, okay. I've like, heard
0: that they're... before. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. So neuronormative, from the definition, just to kind of recap what you were mentioning, of what is 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 functioning or just how people um, see fit society's definition of what is normal. So diverging from that on the outside, so that essentially can mean anything that diverges. So anybody that diverges, so dyslexia, ADHD, bipolar. Um, Would this include onset of something that happens later in one's life, or is this just something that's more recognized when someone's born with a divergent, or um, can you speak to us on that?
2: So people um, assume that neurodivergent means you have to be born with it, but like this isn't the case at all. The way I like to describe it is it doesn't matter how you came to diverge. What matters is that you do diverge. So it doesn't matter if you experience trauma and now, you know, you experience functioning that falls outside of neuronormativity, even if you develop that when you're 20 or 30 or 40, you still diverge. So you're neurodivergent. And so neurodivergent, it includes like, you know, born with or innate neurodivergence, but it also includes like acquired or developed. Um, uh, you know, schizophrenia, um, OSDD, uh, you know, did, um, uh, uh, acquired brain injuries, everything, any functioning that has been labeled as abnormal or wrong or disordered, that's neurodivergent. And one thing to really keep in mind is that people assume that neurodivergent means we're diverging from normal. There is no such thing as normal we are diverging from how society expects us or wants us to function but we aren't diverging from normal because normal is a social construct there is actually no such thing as a normal mind and that goes back to neurodiversity if neurodiversity says that every single mind every person is different how can there be a normal
0: yeah yeah that's a great mind point drop.
1: <laughs> well, i have a question
0: wait so i want to shadow that real quick with hold your can you ADHD's uh, coming do this
1: out shadowing and then i'll hop in
0: just because this is i got my brain thinking a little bit so i'm so then the, i guess the definition of neuronormativity because it has normativity uh, i wonder if that is something that has ever been considered being you know rewarded or or something that is a, an accurate statement or or has that been brought
2: up? It hasn't been brought up, but I can see where people kind of, uh, you know, get the idea that is, it is about normal. But, like, bring it back to um, heteronormativity. Um, heteronormativity is the idea that the attraction between two opposite genders is, you know, the only valid Normal sexuality, and that's centered throughout society. It's not saying that, you know, hetero, uh, like, you know, being heterosexual is normal. It's just saying that being heterosexual is seen as the right way. To be attracted to someone, it's the right sexuality that's centered within media, our systems, within society itself. And so, like, apply that to neuronormativity. It's the same thing that you know. Uh, there's a superior, right way to function that is centered throughout society.
1: Okay, that leads perfectly okay. into my question. We're gonna fight <laughs> for your time. Um, nice. So your kind of like tagline on Instagram is defying neuronormativity. So could you tell us like what that means to you and why it's important to you and your work?
2: Um, uh, well, defying neuronormativity for me is basically about reframing expectations on how people or how I myself should function. It's moving away from viewing executive functioning deficits as deficits and instead viewing it as differences. Um, it's about recognizing that for myself experience man- experiencing manic episodes, that there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that, you know, they can't be distressing or disabling, but it doesn't mean I'm broken or wrong for it. So we- Defying your normativity is about challenging expectations and standards and norms within society on how we should function and disrupting that and basically changing the narrative.
0: Yeah, I love that because essentially what I feel has happened, and I've talked about this fairly recently, is that when society has this so-called standard or this normal way of being or only one way of being or superior way of being then what that ends up doing is it just creates a really toxic culture in society because then it builds this platform of you got to be fixed and you can't be that way and you got and then it just kind of does this spiraling effect of inadvertently create traumatizing people and then we've got an entire world of that has never been supported because of The original problem, which was society being toxic, creating this view of of normal.
1: Yeah, and that's obviously like the greater picture issue. Right, right, right.
2: Of the pathology paradigm, that is what is underpinning, you know, uh, our concept of disorder and, you know, uh, how we currently understand and view individuals, which is actually why we have to move towards, you know, the neurodiversity paradigm and neurodiversity affirming practice, because our current framework isn't supporting people as long as we keep framing individuals as the problem, as the issue that needs to be fixed
0: yeah it's interesting because it's like the therapies that are out there or the aim to try to fix somebody actually is what causes more harm than good and so it does the opposite of what its intentions are exactly yeah Yeah, it's it's crazy but yeah so with the neurodiversity affirming and neurodiversity informed practice a hundred percent we are on board with you on that one because I think that's how we change society as a whole is, is it all starts with the movement and then the evolution eventually turns into a revolution and that takes a long time
2: Oh ab- <laughs> exactly like we are fighting for a paradigm shift we are like we are fighting like against this huge paradigm and that you know isn't going to happen Ch- switching from the pathology paradigm to a neurodiversity paradigm that's not going to happen straight away um especially when you know that uh, the you know the paradigm that views us as broken that reinforces the idea that there is one right way to function as long as that you know paradigm exists you know we are going to struggle which is why we have to fight against that we have to move towards viewing individuals as neurodivergent and not disordered mm-hmm. And obviously, I will state that uh, disorder and disability are not interchangeable. Uh, When we say people are not disordered, we are not saying people are not disabled. Um, I get that a lot. So just going to clear the air there.
1: (laughs) I'm glad you said that. And I'm (laughs) I'm curious, was there a time in your life when it was almost like a pre and post for you? Like when you kind of like moved into this? understanding neurodiversity affirming practice and started to like see yourself in a different light and like move into a new way of living your life
2: absolutely I was actually diagnosed with autism and ADHD when I was like eight years old Um, and that was in the year 2000 Um, so that was like well 23 years ago Um, and so I actually grew up Believing I was broken, abnormal. I genuinely believed having autism meant there was something wrong with me because I was stuck in that. Uh, that lens i was using a pathology lens um and i and i actually believed i needed to be fixed that autism meant that you needed help you needed to be fixed um and i probably didn't change my viewpoint my understanding until i was introduced to neurodiversity until i was introduced to another framework another lens and that probably didn't happen until 2017 2018 that's when I started being like oh wait maybe there isn't anything wrong with me um and so that's why I think you know that's why I'm so passionate about neurodiversity and neurodiversity affirming practice and everything because well no one should grow up believing there's something wrong with them that they're the problem Uh, because it you know it really screws up your life and changes how you view yourself and other people and I don't think you know calling and uh, labeling people as having a disorder and you know what that means is productive for anyone um, you know and their well-being and loving themselves and, you know, looking after themselves and supporting someone. I mean, it's kind of just like ask, it's kind of, you know, asking someone to change themselves based on shame. That's
0: not helpful for anyone. Not at all. Yeah. That ties right into that internalized ableism where yeah. feeling like that the person's the problem. And then that ends up impacting one's ability to want to self-advocate. So I just think that, yeah, what you're mentioning right there, it's that helping the world see neurodiversity or just disabilities through a different lens so that way we can empower people with feeling confident and understanding, hey, I've got differences. Now I can act upon advocating for support. But I just always feel like what you were mentioning, yeah, if it's a lot of the pathologizing view of oneself then one's not going to be inclined to want to self-advocate and so I, I always feel like that's that's a hurdle that
1: yeah I'm
0: against too but um um did you have anything you wanted to add to that
1: there's so many things gosh yeah assuming, <laughs> how did I'm assuming since so much has changed online that that has helped in some way like how how has an online community helped you move
2: in this direction. Acceptance, um, acceptance, belonging, seeing other people, you know, um, have the same differences or similar experiences, have actually really changed how I view myself. Because, like, you know, imagine you're growing up and, uh, you, you know, uh, str- you experience meltdowns and so you go through you know you grow up experiencing meltdowns believing that oh crap you know i'm the only one who experiences this you know i'm the problem there's something wrong with me but then when you join an online community and you see other people experiencing meltdowns for example you're like oh it's not just me and that can be really really empowering um and you know as well obviously just understanding and education just having access to tools and strategies and learning how to support yourself and just as well you know being able to change that narrative um yeah like having an online community is I think life-changing obviously uh online communities can also have downsides but so can everything else
0: (laughs) (laughs) your platform has grown so large. And so, yeah, that's the challenging thing is is when you start to gain more um, people noticing your account and followers. And then all of a sudden you start to get these other people chiming in with like, they're not so
1: supportive. supportive.
0: And that's just the nature of the game. We always say there's this guy, Robin Sharma, who says you can either change the world or you can make everyone happy but you can't do both
1: you can either change the world or be liked by everyone or be liked
0: by everyone but you but you can't do yeah. both and isn't that the truth cuz you just it really to, is yeah it's it's right there cuz we're not going to be able to make everybody happy and that's okay we know the mission you know your mission you know which way um which which way you're headed which is a, which is a great direction
2: it's um, why I like i'll i'll sometimes joke and say that some uh most of the time comments don't bother me and this is probably a very autistic thing to say most of the time the negative comments don't bother me because I know I'm right Um, (laughs) or if I'm not right at least I know I'm fighting for something that is like really important or significant so you know all those negative comments while they can like hurt and like bring me down in the moment at the end of the day like nothing you know worth fighting for comes easy you know, there's always going to be negative comments. And at the end of the day, I grew up with negative comments. I grew up with bullying and, you know, uh other bad things. And so, you know, at least now I have a purpose. At least now, like, I have people on my side, people on my team who are grateful and also fighting with me. So I'm not really doing it alone. And so I think that's what kind of, you know, makes the uh, crappy comments uh uh, you know, uh, less impactful. That I'm not doing it alone. There are always people in the comments who are just like, "Wow, thank you for this!" or "Oh my god, like this is really good," and that makes a difference.
1: Yeah, it does, and that's a daily daily conversation <laughs> we have. Uh, yeah. Speaking of comments, I I don't know if you remember this. You probably will, and I don't remember it exactly, but there was a post I've put up relatively recently, and a parent commented something like, y- you'll never know what it's like to have a kid who can't be independent or something to that effect. And you wrote like a very meaningful response back. If you remember, maybe you could kind of like share the, what that was about.
2: So I definitely cannot remember what I wrote. However, um, I can, uh, probably assume what I wrote. And there was something about how, you know, I'm assuming that sometimes independence doesn't have to be the goal. Um, and I, I spoke about this recently at one of my workshops to some parents about how no one is actually independent. All of us are interdependent. We rely on people for childcare. We rely on, some of us rely on people to cook our food, to fix our car. Um, uh, you know, uh, drive us to places, Ubers, taxis, public transport. Uh, we rely on lawyers, mechanics. Um, and so the point of that is, None of us are interdependent. We all rely on other people to meet our needs. The only thing is, is that some of our needs have been normalized. Some of our dependencies have been normalized while other dependencies, our other needs haven't been. And so they're seen as, so, you know, when we say we'll never, uh, we can't ever be independent. Yeah, we won't ever be independent, but that's okay.
0: I think that's a powerful message. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that in, as you mentioned, in all walks of life, even when it comes to the big topic of self-regulation, and oftentimes that looks more like co-regulation. Like when I'm having a hard day or someone's mean to me in the comment section, I have to co-regulate with Jesse because I'm like, oh boy, I'm having a hard time. (laughs) And And
1: I think in the comment too, you wrote some things that you needed support with. I think you said like I'll always need help. Grocery shopping, I want to say, is like one of the things you said. And very true. Yep. It's <laughs> just one of those things where um I think people make these assumptions that like, oh well you're here commenting. That means that you're fully independent and you don't need anyone. Right? Like you're yeah. you have the level of support Um, we frame my child has or needs you
2: know yeah like we frame independence as this be all end all so we assume that if someone is independent that means they're successful or functional or they're doing awesome things but you can be interdependent and still be successful And functional and doing awesome things. You know, needing support with grocery shopping, needing a part time carer, needing someone to take care of organizing your bills or taking you to doctor's appointment. That doesn't mean that you can't comment online. It doesn't mean you can't write a book. It doesn't mean you, you know, can't attend, you know, an event or an activity. It can't mean, it doesn't mean you can't socialize. Um, inter- interdependent doesn't, you know, mean that you can't do some things. And I think that that's really important for people to be aware of.
1: Yeah, that's so. And speaking of, let's talk about some of the incredible things that you have done, first of all, <laughs> and we'll link all these things. Yeah. Um, Your workbook that you wrote, can you tell everyone a little about that? i I downloaded
2: that a long time ago. Um, Yes. So the Neurodivergent Friendly Workbook of DBT Skills. um, So when I first started working in mental health, I... I fell in love with DBT skills, probably because I needed them. Um, but what I've found that, you know, some, a lot of the DBT skills, uh, they didn't accommodate or consider my, you know, autistic or ADHD differences. Um, and a lot of the DBT skills often, well, reinforce neuronormative expectations and standards. And so I decided to kind of adjust them um, and reframe them. And I also found as well that the original DBT workbook or most of the common DBT workbooks, they're like black and white, full of text, and they just weren't very attractive. Um, So I wanted to create, you know, uh, a workbook with DBT skills that was affirming and uh, accommodated our differences, but that were also, you know, pretty and more simple to do for us. Um, And, you know, uh, me making my DBT workbook is probably a good example of me, you know, uh, challenging how we do things. Because when I started the DBT workbook, I wrote the original 30-page workbook. It was originally 30 pages within like a couple of months, left it for a year, then decided to go back to it. And then that's when I turned it into the workbook it is now. Um, so it was a very um, on the whim. I hyper focused on it, using my ADHD hyper focus for a couple of months. Got distracted, slash bored, left it, then hyper focused on it again. Um, so productivity can look different for everyone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And just, well, I'm trying to remember some of the things that are in there just to give people an idea, like help uh, having people figure out what levels of support they need in different aspects of their life. I want to say there's like crisis management
2: or planning. Yeah, um, even meltdown planning, um, basically uh, creating a uh, plan for what happens when you have a meltdown and as well a plan for you to communicate to the people around you on how they can support you. Um, I think that's one of them as well.
0: If the listeners are going to locate this, um, where where would they be able to find this book? And your um, other resources.
2: Yeah, for the physical copy of the DBT workbook, you can find that on Amazon. Um, But if you prefer to have a downloadable digital copy, you can find that on my website, which is the same username as my Instagram.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely put that in the um, description. And then maybe you could tell everyone a little bit about what you founded, uh, Drop in Care.
2: Um, Yep. So the drop in care space is basically a community center run by lived experience. um, And it's basically for people um, where our primary mission is to reduce distress and isolation for individuals who commonly experienced distress and isolation. So neurodivergent people, um, LGBTQI plus people and disabled people. Um, and so the reason I founded it is because obviously growing up, I didn't really have any friends. I was like bullied and excluded a lot. Um, and so I didn't actually have real friends until 2018 where I met a neurodivergent and queer community And my life honestly changed when I found community, when I found people who were, well, like me, but also accepted me. And so I wanted to basically create a community drop-in centre that was for people who, you know, don't have access to that, for people who feel isolated or for people who, you know, uh, have trouble, you know, making friends at pubs or bars or concerts or, you know places um it's just yeah an opportunity for us to look after our well-being in ways that are community orientated art and craft activities community events and um yeah just like chilling with people in a non-clinical way
0: that's awesome so (laughs) i haven't been on there is it like a is it so it's
1: no it's an in-person yeah i was gonna say it's an in-person
0: but like do people go onto the website and then they can find out where to go to meet in person
1: um
2: uh, yes yeah, so it's a community center in my hometown so where i live so we need um, to
1: go out there that's
0: amazing <laughs> they need that everywhere you need to yeah that would be awesome so i think i party love out here in I, um, california
1: i smell a franchise coming
0: right.
2: <laughs> there'll be a franchise if i know the government funded it
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be the, yeah that would be amazing um, it, I noticed that it looks like this year, later in the year, you have a book that might be coming out. Did I see that right? Oh yeah. Share I with do. Yeah, that's exciting um, news.
2: So I haven't been talking about it much because I'm waiting for my publisher to give me the go ahead with marketing, but basically I can confirm that is coming out on November 23rd this year, um, like UK, US and Australia. Um, and everywhere else Um, and uh, it kind of touches upon what we spoke about earlier and the book is called We're All Neurodiverse.
0: Oh I love it.
2: Because we are um, and I'll just like quickly connect it to earlier the reason why uh, neurodiverse is not an appropriate term to refer to an individual is because we are all neurodiverse society is neurodiverse the entire human population is neurodiverse because we are all different and that's why we can't actually use neurodivergent and neurodiverse interchangeably because when we use neurodiverse instead of neurodivergent, we are implying that neurotypical people, people who aren't neurodivergent, aren't included in diversity. But neurotypical people are a part of neurodiversity. So neurotypical people are neurodiverse as well. Um, And that's why the book is called We're all neurodiverse, because we are society is neurodiverse. And that's why we have to move towards recognizing the diversity of society. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's going to be awesome. So you guys, you heard it here first. That's right. <laughs> Book coming out November 23rd. That's amazing. Congratulations. We're Thank just you. so happy that we got to have this chat with you. I told you when I asked you to come on, I was like, I just love your energy. It's so contagious. And I think it's just, you're such a bright light, you know, in that community online and we're just excited that more people get to hear your story.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you so
2: much, I'm, I'm honestly a big fan of both of you. I'm like, you know, you talk about my energy, but both of you have so much energy to the point that when, like, I see both of your reels, like, online, I'm just like, damn, I wish I had those people as parents. <laughs> like, you guys are so <laughs>
1: <That's>
0: cool. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming. better
1: comments. or worse.
0: Yeah. So it's got its ups and downs. I can tell you that much. Wow, we all thank do.
1: Thank <laughs> you so much for being here. We will link everything we talked about below so that everyone can check out all of your work and we just can't wait to watch you continue to grow and expand everything you're doing and we will wait for that book release.
2: Yeah. <laughs> thank okay, you. Thank you so much, Sunny. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend.
0: Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.